Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for All Things Evangelism. This episode is entitled, Where Your Treasure Is. And I've got a good friend and workmate here with me today. His name is Russell Halliday. Uh, some people call him the money man. He is the CFO for the North New South Wales Conference. And uh, he's joined me to talk about the relationship between evangelism, success and mission, and money. Thanks Russell for uh, joining me today <laughs> and deciding to be a part of this podcast, brother. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Matt. Um, always good to talk about my favorite topic of money. <laughs> That's right. It is your favorite topic. How long have you been the CFO for the North New South Wales Conference? Oh, probably around 16 years, something like that. Yeah. It's all right. Yep. It's a little bit yeah, of time. So it's been a been a blessing. Loved every minute of it. Well, most of it. And yeah, um, yeah looking forward to seeing what God's got to do in 2021. That's it. Yeah. So times are a bit different. Is this, would you have ever experienced a time that's similar to where we're at as far as the financial no. situation in the no, world? No, that's right. I think um, I think we're starting to see glimmers of the fulfillment of some of the some of the end time prophecies around money and and even in Luke where it talks about men's hearts failing them for fear. Yep. When they see these things coming, you could see it during the health pandemic. Yep. People just panicking. Um, mm. and I think it's just a little glimpse of what's to come. Um, Bible's got a lot to say about money, yes. uh, both now and in the future. And mm -hmm. uh, the main thing is, it's all going to vanish eventually. So let's not put too much faith and hope in it. But it's yep. uh, it's a great tool for evangelism, though, and which probably explains why why our enemy's so keen to get us distracted with putting our money into other things because it starves the work of God. Yeah, that's right. It's interesting because I've I've been thinking a lot about what Revelation thirteen says. You got me remembering my recent meditations on this, what Revelation 13 says about money. And it's because it says that anyone who does not fall into line with what's happening around the world, the global setting up of some kind of worship system is not going to be able to buy or sell. Mm. And it, yes, the thought came right. to me a few weeks ago that if I love buying and selling more than I love Jesus and I love the gospel and I love scripture, and the truth, then I'm going to have a pretty you know, difficult time in in the future. Mm. Um, yeah. So you said that uh, the devil likes to starve the mission. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know he knows he knows we're in Matthew where it says that the gospel's got to be preached in all the world and then you know Jesus will come back. So if he can delay it by this is one of his great weapons amongst a lot of others, of course. But yeah, if he can starve the evangelism of the church through lack of funds with people, you know, not paying their tithe and stuff, yep. then great. That's delaying God's coming another year or another three years or whatever. That's brilliant. You know, that's, what a great strategy. So. That is, that's right. Yeah, that's heavy. So have you ever heard that Ellen White quote where she says something to the effect of if every Seventh-day Adventist church member paid tithe, that there would never, ever be an abundance of resources to do whatever ministry we wanted to do. I think I think I have heard that, and it makes sense because um, even when even when Jesus was on earth, earth here and he wasn't really drawing a wage or anything, but he was still costing money because he like he had a treasurer. Yeah, true. Fairly dodgy one, but still he had a treasurer, <laughs> and um, it yeah, tells sorry. us that he had someone to money manage his funds. He was getting donations for living expenses and things, you know, yep. from wealthy people, obviously that were committed to what he was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and probably a lot of anonymous gifts and things, and so yeah, he had someone to look after those things. And he, he knew, and um, and it's always been the case 
through the Old and New Testament where um, the work of ministry requires funds, doesn't it? It always yeah. has and always will Yeah. to the end of time. So, yeah. Totally. It's funny that you say he was a dodgy one. He sure was. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he had to be good with money, right? Like like Judas had to be good with money because he wouldn't have been the treasurer if he wasn't. So he's he had that skill um, and Jesus, his ministry cost money and they had, yeah, who knows where all the contributions came from, but this treasurer, um, not a very ethical one. No, no. Not, not the kind of guy that you want managing the funds. No, not really. No. And then you've got some stories in the, I suppose, in the New Testament where some well-meaning church members would make promises to God mm. and some of them would not follow through on those promises as well. And it's a bit sort of confronting at times when you think about what happened mm. in Acts you know, yep. um, when the church was growing so quickly and needed all the resources it could get. That's right. Um, you know, after Pentecost and that, and people were committing their houses and their land and all sorts of things. And then some people were backflipping on those promises, like gymnasts, I suppose, backflipping and doing contortions and things, and then deciding, yeah. oh, geez, I wish I hadn't promised that. And Just backing out. Yeah. Some hard lessons to be learnt with Ananias and Sapphira, without mentioning any names. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, God, God takes it seriously. Um, I guess um, I guess all our money doesn't really belong to us, really does it? That's what the Bible teaches pretty clearly. So right. it's his to do his work. That's what he's given it to us for. So, yeah. Yep. What do you think, uh, I was thinking, what do you think the percentage of attending church members paying tithe is? Or what percentage of attending church members do you think pay tithe? I mean, I guess you kind of have access to that those numbers and we... We've done some surveys. Yeah. McCrindle um, did some surveys um, across Australia. It was around about 40%. I think in our conference it was about 50%. So Oh, really? Yeah. That's those, higher than... We had about, I think, about 800 people completed the survey in our conference. So it was a decent sample size. Yes. So well, that's was, amazing. That's yeah. that's actually quite good. I know that in North America, when I was still there, the, the number that was always tossed around was about 30 to 40% yep. in the Adventist church uh, community. And that was really high for Christianity as a whole. Mm. And so we were we were surpassing them significantly. And I think that kind of comes with the territory, right? Because Adventists are people who, you know, stand on the teachings of scripture. So mm. generally their people are gonna pay more sure. you know, or return more tithe. But you know, yeah. if you could, could imagine like, okay, so if we if hundred percent of our membership paid tithe in North New South Wales, that would effectively double our capacity, right? Yeah. What would you do as a CFO, as the treasurer for the North New South Wales Conference, if tithe doubled? What would your life be like all of a sudden? What would that mean for you? Well, I just think we'd we'd have a session of a prayer and a thanks for God. I mean, you know, praise the Lord, and and then we'd be asking for His wisdom to to know you what know to where, where to do with it and what what the best way to, to spend it would be. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's just it's God's money and. And that's it, you know. We just sort of, um, we're just sort of here, put in charge, um, to yep. to do with it as as he directs. And you know, it's so exciting to be to be part of something like that, um, which is bigger than ourselves. I mean, um, you know, it's been my privilege to work for the church for many years, and you know, I never grow tired of of hearing the, um, you know, the stories of uh, souls being won for Christ and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's just just exciting to be, as as a tithe payer myself, to know that, um, you know, I might not be there uh, 
baptizing people on the front line, but I might as well be. That's right. Just as important for, for you know the role that I've got as a um, a generous steward of what God's given me. So yeah, yeah it's um, very very exciting, and that's what that's what excites me about uh, giving for mission. Mm. You know, a lot of people say I've had you know quite a few people over the years say, you know, how could you possibly afford? And it sounds a bit strange, I suppose, if you're new in the faith and you're just struggling with it. You know, how would you actually afford to give away 10% of your income in tithe? It's, it's bizarre when you think about it. Um, and, um, and I suppose there's a, a very, very secret formula, uh, the secret, you know, formula of tithing that it isn't really obvious because if you just do the, the logical maths, nine-tenths is less than ten-tenths, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but the secret formula is nine tenths plus God is greater than ten tenths. Yes, and that's the, that's the right. X factor, if you like, is the plus God in there. And I just find year after year, as I the more that I give, the more that comes back. It's just bizarre. Like um, you think, oh, I've got to, I'll give more than I gave last year for offering or something like that. And lo and behold, it's back in your bank account within. <laughs> Within three or four months, it's mm-hmm. it's just amazing. So, God somehow stretches and magically um, expands what you can do with your money because mm. it's given to us to pass on to others to benefit others. And whether that's with the gospel or material need, I mean, you know, so many wonderful things and so many causes we can give our money to. It's just very very exciting. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's like that. Uh, the the Bible says the liberal soul will be made fat. It just means the generous soul mm. in Proverbs eleven. And he that waters will be watered himself. It's like the great principle of God's creation. The more you give, the more you receive. And yeah. Um, yeah. That, that definitely plays a part. Um, Abel, our general secretary, he, he, he um, recommended a book in our last staff meeting, not today, but a few weeks ago, where he said, he's reading a book called What's Best Next? How the Gospel Changes What You Do. And I'm, reading, I'm listening to the book. And man, the guy was basically saying that, all the latest research on business success is showing that businesses that truly and genuinely exist to give end up doing better in the long run. And the whole idea of the shark, the, you know, the kind of savvy fox that rips everyone off, he says that, 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 that there are tons of people who, are that, who function that way, who operate on that level, and they make money and whatever. He said, but the, the sustained wealth over time is, is, is usually... Um, the, the, the achievement of unselfish entities, entities that are committed to unselfishness. And I wonder if tithe doesn't play into that where I'm returning tithe to God, which is an act of unselfish submission to the creator to support mission and ministry and the salvation of others. And if that doesn't set a precedent for the rest of our lives and recalibrate our thinking in such a way that we just become more effective in other areas and, and the principle of unselfishness like, kind of starts in you know our whole thinking about money, mm. and that might change us a bit. Because I, mm. yeah, I used to smoke cigarettes. Uh, you don't know this, Russell, but I smoked cigarettes for fifteen years, mm. and uh, well, it was it was around fifteen years, and I smoked like two packs a day at the time when cigarettes cost about three dollars a pack, so that's like six bucks. And then I always had drinks with me, like from the um, convenience store, to aid my because I just like to smoke with drinks. And so I'd say on, a, on an average day, I'm, I'm buying three or four soft drinks, big soft drinks from mm. the store, and that's like two bucks each, three bucks each in those days. And so 
right there is like 20 bucks a day mm. times, you know, all the days of the year. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of cash. It is a lot of cash. And yeah. uh, it's just to consume things that are really unhealthy for me. Yeah. And it's like that, that you just spend like that with no thought. No thought, no. But then all of a sudden it comes to sacrificing for a mission. And it becomes like this really difficult, huge problem. And I think that's one of the reasons why God asks us to return tithe, to kind of attack the root of selfishness that's in all of us. And we're always willing to just like spend on whatever we want to consume or whatever Mm. makes us feel good at the moment. Mm. But we're not generally, naturally speaking, eager to give unselfishly. So the whole tithe, it almost like, yeah, it's a recalibration program of God on God's part. And then if we can do that and become more unselfish, then we stop being more selfish and then we stop wasting money on things that we never really needed in the first place. And then before you know it, we're like, hey, how come I have more money in my bank account, but I'm giving 10% of it to the church? Yep. It's because that giving to the church is creating a mindset of unselfishness, which means we're spending less on selfish things, you know, and uh, having no, more money. beautiful. Yeah. As, as uh, the Christmas, um, I had opportunity to go to the shopping centers, which I don't normally go to. Uh, leave that up to someone better in our family that's better at navigating traffic and those sorts of things for shopping and stuff. But, you know, you go to these big shopping centers and finding a park is the first challenge. Um, and quite often you'll see there's there's one park left and there's two or three cars trying to get onto the one park and it doesn't work so well. There's really only room on one car spot, sort of saying the obvious thing, I suppose. Only room on one car spot for one car, right? And I was thinking, well, it's a bit like our lives. We've really only got room for one master or God in our lives. There's not really room for two. Mm. And when we try and mix it in and have a bit of bit of the world and a bit of God and a bit of this and that, we just it's going to end in tears. There's going to be a, a road rage or there's going to be a car accident or something's going to happen. It's not going to work out. It's not going to end well. We've either got to have, you know, God parked in our lives or or the other yeah. Uh, alternative and once we've got that God in our life whoever that is well, we're on a journey with that God and wherever they end up that's where we're going to end up yes it's a great point so um, good you know and you know one of the, one of those gods is pretty clear on where they end up and they're advertising the fact that that's a good place the other one's not you don't hear so much about where they're going because <laughs> it's it's all about the here and the now and the short term, you know, and, yeah. and you know, he's very, very clever at um, deceiving us, I suppose, um, you know, myself included. And how many times I have to pull myself back and say, well, you know, who is master here? I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, am I being generous for with my money? Am I, um, yeah. have I got, you know, God as my top priority? What's really important here? Or is it just all about me? Mm. That's it. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, is the first verse, well, maybe the, one of the first three verses I memorized when I first came to Christ. It was um, Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. Mm. He he will either love the one and hate the other or hold on to one and despise the other. Mm. You cannot serve God and riches. Mm. And and I think that's, that's a really relevant verse for, for the age that we live in. And, um, we, we as, as Christ-following believers, have the mandate from Scripture to be generous in our giving to God and to mission and to evangelism. And but 
it's like, but besides that, just the spirit of Christ would demand that we be unselfish with our resources and give for the sake of others, eternal salvation, right? Like, cause that's what Jesus was all about. And, you know, sometimes people, they suppose that spiritual ministry is, is somehow a different realm than, than the money and what you do with your money. And they just suppose like, this is ministry over here and this is money over here. And they're like two distinct mm-hmm. separate things. And that's I think true. that's actually not the case because Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also, right? Like, so if my heart's into mission and ministry, then I'm gonna put my money into it. And if I put my money into mission and ministry, then my heart will be into it, you know? And uh, I think that's, it's like it's evangelistic success requires money, uh, which is an investment. In, in souls, investment in the church. Yeah, so I just think it's really important that uh, people out there, you know, chat to us and, 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 and begin to think more about giving because although God doesn't need our money, he asks for it because he wants us to participate with him in reaching out. You know, it's, 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 mm. he's assigned us the task of, of being his hands and feet and to be his voice here on earth to preach the truth. But uh, so we need money to do that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we need money to do that. And obviously, I, it's funny because someone might hear me say that and go, oh, we don't need money to do that. And I say, well, yeah, I, 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 did, I worked for free for six years when I first came to the Lord as a volunteer traveling the U.S. preaching. So, yeah, I know. I know very well that you don't need money to do it. But, but I did need money to put fuel in my car to drive to the next venue. I did need uh, a budget to do the respective projects of ministry that we were doing. I did need some, some money to eat, right? So, so to say that you, you, know, you don't need money, it's true, you can walk forward in faith and God can do miracles, but in a functioning economy like what we're in now, hmm. you, I mean, unless, you either need farming skills or you need money to eat. And uh, mm-hmm. so I think, yeah, it's important. It's important that uh, we talk about money true. and uh, that we realize the importance of it for evangelistic success. Um, you know, I was just been watching the Billy Graham classics on YouTube, like all the old Billy Graham, like stadium sermons are on there. And I mean, those, those, those guys back in those days, their budgets, like in the 1980s and nineties, they need to preach from the seventies, sixties, you know, but in the eighties and nineties, they'd have like $5 million budgets mm. for like a five day crusade. Right. Mm. Um, and and it's like, I'm not saying we, we need that and to do things exactly that way, but to, to put that, those kinds of resources into what you're doing, you got to be very serious about it. I mean, that's a massive, massive com- commitment. And it would seem to many that that would be wasteful, you know, those kinds of resources. But I think in the light of Jesus giving as much as he did, you know, it mm. doesn't seem like, like no, too much. No, no, no. No, I think, um, you know... <laughs> I've heard the saying that God doesn't keep, you know, money in his pockets. It's his money's in our pockets. <laughs> and so, you know, I think about my my life and with shame, I'd have to say I'd be eligible for a lot of Oscars over the years for pretending to be a Christian, um, you know, going through the motions and, and acting it. But I'll tell you what, the, the best litmus test is, is money because you name me someone you know, that's going to pay for something that they don't really want or they don't believe in. It doesn't happen very often. Mm. You know, you, 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 you're, um, you're going to put your money what what do you believe in. So it's okay if you get something for free, but 
yeah, if you want to test whether someone's really keen about something, you ask them to pay for it. And um, mm. people don't spend their money on stuff they don't believe in. And so, you know, if we're Fennecum Christians um, and we believe it, <laughs> then we'll have no problem with, you know, putting our, putting our money in it because that's what we really believe. Right. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, mm. there's a lot of us, uh, myself included, that, you know, we're sometimes... Uh, Part of the church going through the motions, doing all the right things, but when it comes to that litmus test, our money, yep. is, and it's just in the privacy of our own homes, no one else knows about it. Our decisions that we're making between we're going to spend it on this or that, only God knows. Yep. And, um, and you know, that's that's where we're really showing by our actions our yep. uh, where our true allegiance is and what we um, what we really stand for. Yep. So, so, Russell, have you ever thought about this before? Like, I think I, ta I talked to you about this briefly before we started recording, but when Jesus says in, I think it's in Matthew 6, 21 or 20, uh, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And it's almost like he's saying, if you make an investment in something, you're going to care more about it. Mm. So mm. If, if the majority of my money is invested in X, then I'm going to care a lot about X. If I've just got a little bit of money invested in something, I've got a little bit of concern for it because it's I've never I haven't had to make much of an investment, and I've got not much to lose in it. Mm. And and the same then would be the case for mission. So if I'm investing heavily in mission, then like financially mm. speaking, I'm going to really care about it because that money is representing my time, my energy, my sweat, my tears, my life, my ability to provide for myself. I'm giving that to mission and to God. And therefore my emotions are gonna be more attached to mission good and point. to God, right? Very, very good point. Yes. And so it's very important that we give, and we oftentimes think to ourselves that once my heart is in the right place, then I'll give. But what Jesus says seems to indicate the opposite. First you give and then your heart will get into it. Like where your treasure is, yes. that's where your heart will be also. So your treasure goes there first. And then your heart goes there also. Mm. But I think oftentimes we're waiting for our heart to be there, like in this perfect, you know, place. And then it's like, well, we'll just give financially. And it's like, yeah, right. We'll wait to see how long it takes before that happens, right? <laughs> but just so you what make... do you think about the um, that rich guy that came up to see Jesus and wanted to know how he was going to be saved? And, um, you know, Jesus told him what he had to do to be saved. And he said, yeah, I've done all that. Tick, tick, tick. And then come the clanger. <laughs> Big clanger. Sell everything you've got and come and follow me. And Ugh. it got to the uh, to the point where he obviously, yeah, with his, uh, with his possessions that had taken hold of him and consumed him and that was his, his God. Oh, boy. It just rings so true doesn't it to how we can easily fall into this trap it's a great trap the devil said it's it's a ripper when you think about it mm. it's, it's 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 his possessions owned him yeah, he did not exactly. own them because no. he he would hold on to them even if it meant losing mm -hmm. eternity and you know it's interesting what you're saying because it it ties back to the revelation 13 thing if the devil can get us to fall so deeply in love with buying and selling commerce money investing in this world's goods and this world's security, then when you get to that final test at the end and it's and you have that choice, 
you follow the lamb wherever he goes, which means into economic sanctions and the losing of the ability to buy and sell and to have what money can purchase in yes. this world, yes. you're going to choose the money because he's gotten us so in love with it that we can't let it go like the rich young ruler. I never actually saw the rich young ruler as a, as a companion story to Revelation 13 because basically to follow Jesus at that time for the rich young ruler meant I can't buy and sell anymore. That's true. That's very true as well. I'm too in love with buying and selling. Last year in... Um when COVID first hit, the stock market took a, a hammering. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm talking not just a little blip. I'm talking in terms of the last 100 years, um, the fastest fall on ever recorded, fastest mm -hmm. fall. Um, and, and, you know, on the scale of the, uh, you know, the, 19, the Great Depression in the 1920s and 30s. So it, it was quite significant the financial developments that happened around the world last year mm -hmm. um, the things that you wouldn't normally see in, in one's lifetime um, so mm -hmm. as you read some of the prophecies of what's going to happen at the end of time we've got a small glimpse of the speed with which possessions can be taken off us yeah and we've also had a glimpse during covid i believe of um the curtailing of trade and our ability to buy and sell, which was also foretold in the prophecies of, of Revelation, where it lists off a whole lot of tradable commodities um, in, in, in there, in the prophecy, that won't be able to be bought and sold anymore. And a lot of those items, wheat, barley, and those sort of things affected Australia when China said we're just going to tear up our terms of trade or whatever, we're not going to buy those off you anymore. Yeah. And whole industries and sectors uh, were panicking because they had no one to buy their stuff anymore. It's a little glimpse, I think, of what's going to happen. Now, you know, if we're going to base our whole uh, belief system and our security around possessions and money, the Bible's very clear that, that is, that's shaky ground and it's all going to go. In fact, God's going to teach us all a big lesson before the end of time. And that'll all be taken away from us. Yeah. Make, make no mistake about it. Um, you can read those prophecies in James as well. But in many parts of the, many prophecies about the last days where it says that that's what's going to happen. So the little, um, when I say the little, the massive slide we had on, on the share market in, um, in the coronavirus um, crash, if you like, uh, will be child's play compared to what's coming. Yeah. Absolute child's play. It's, it's nothing. Um, but we've seen little glimpses of it. And, you know, it mentions in Revelation a time period. This stuff's going to be lost within one hour, it says, in a very mm. short amount of time. You mm. know, it's going to happen overnight virtually. And that's what we saw. Yep. You know, fortunes lost very, very quickly. Um, and, you know, um, we live in a, a global society, so it doesn't matter where you're investing around the world. Mm -hmm. It's not, not protected. It's not safe. Well, it's only one safe place, and that's to invest in heaven. Absolutely. And for eternity. So. And Jesus says that, right? Like, I was just thinking in, in Matthew 6. But store up for yourselves treasure. But wait, sorry. Sorry. It's in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt mm. and thieves break through and steal. Mm. But rather, store up for, for yourself treasures in heaven. Mm. And I feel like in my life, God is telling me, you know, you... you it's okay to be smart with money. It's okay to, to try to 
multiply wealth. I was just reading in Deuteronomy chapter 9, uh, just the last few days, where God says, like, when you get into the land and you're becoming prosperous and whatnot, just don't think you're being prosperous because of how amazing you are. Remember that it's me who's giving you the ability to get wealth. Yes. And so God there is showing he has no problem with you creating wealth and, and multiplying your wealth. I think the biblical warning is not don't make money because money is bad. It's just don't become a slave to money so that money becomes your God and then the devil uses it against you as a tool. Uh, and because it's fleeting and it can disappear and, 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 then that, how tragic is that, right? Like you, you allowed something that you could never keep to steal your soul. You know, there's a missionary, Jim Elliott, who he coined a phrase. He says, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. And, he's talk, and he died as a missionary in Ecuador. So it's like, that's a brilliant statement. But the converse is so tragic, right? Like, why would you give up that which you can't keep for that which you couldn't have lost if you had grabbed it? Eternal riches in heaven, you know? Um, it's unreal. So, Russ, just uh, to close, the rich young ruler, <laughs> to end our little chat here, um, the rich young ruler, how far do we take that as an example, right? Like, we're Christ-following Seventh-day Adventists, and, and we see that clearly. Jesus is asking that individual to give up all of his stuff and to sell to the poor. And it, it doesn't seem to me that Jesus is, like, just kind of speaking hyperbolically. I think he's... He's actually saying to the guy, you want you personally, as an individual, you want to get into eternal life, you need to go sell everything right now. How far do we take that today, right? Because somebody could say, well, we can't take that too far because that would then mean we all sell everything. And then in about five years, the church has nothing, mm. right? Because we're all Bible workers, right? And yes. then yes. And we're all Bible workers who, who sustains the Bible workers. How, where's your thinking on that? Yeah, so um, I... I think, you know, the, the system that God's outlined is absolutely brilliant. Even I can figure out the mass. It's just 10%. It's not hard to, you know, calculate. Um, I'm so pleased it wasn't one-seventh or one-eleventh or something, like, because <laughs> it's easy. So there's, you know, there's 10%. Um, that leaves 90% for us to, you know, to do with God knows we need to live. We've got to have bread on the table. We've got to have a roof over our heads. We've got to rent. We've got to own a home. All these sort of things. He expects us to do all those sort of things. And Paul says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Therefore, he's fine with you working to make money to eat. But the other thing is, um, for those of us that feel like we want to do more, this is where we have offerings. And they're absolutely mm. brilliant because there's no percentage. You won't find anywhere in the Bible where it says you've got to give X amount of percentage for offerings mm. because it's basically as you want to do. Mm. If you feel impressed that you've got to go and help some poor and needy people, well, give an offering for it and help them, you know. Mm. And you'll get a blessing from that, it says. It promises us in the Bible. We're going to get blessings. Mm. Yes. So we're encouraged to give generously as we feel compelled. And, you know, God will impress us when these things happen. So, mm. you know, and each of us will be impressed differently. I did wonder during COVID why Australians are obsessed with toilet paper <laughs> um, because it seems like every time there's a, a health crisis on, we all sprint off and buy rolls and rolls, as much toilet paper as we can possibly get, or other things too, you know, other staples that we perceive of life. And I wonder why that is, you know. You know, a lot of our defence mechanisms when we get into trouble is is to hoard stuff and like squirrels trying to pull <laughs> nuts or something. And it is just such a pointless exercise. I, I watched the strangest documentary. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just, I watched the strangest documentary the other day. It was on the 
the most dangerous places in the world. And Venezuela right now is on almost every list is like top three most dangerous places. And it was about Caracas, Venezuela and toilet paper there. But basically socialism destroyed their country, right? And I think we're kind of heading there, you know, because in academia right now, you basically send your kid to college to just like learn engineering and they come out like a communist, you know? So basically that's the way the Western world is heading because everyone seems to be enamored with, you know, the utopian socialist vision of the world. And um, they somehow fail to see that socialism destroys every single place it ever infects, you know? So Venezuela is tanks because of crazy socialist leadership and unsustainable government programs, right? That are economically just ridiculous. And basically a roll of toilet paper is like one month's wage for the average Venezuelan. One month's. And this is a country that in the 1970s was the most wealthy country in all of South America. And the living standard was like on par or better than America in most, most segments. So and I just found that interesting. Yeah. So then as soon as, maybe there's something intuitive to us. We realize that pretty soon toilet paper is going to be really expensive. I don't know. But you can, you can get a gallon of gas there for nothing. You know, not, if there's some things that are really cheap, but everything is just like basicness. Toilet, so I thought it was kind of funny. Toilet paper is... Perhaps the rich young ruler was just a bit of a hoarder of possessions. And God yeah. knew his heart. That was a specific and thing. That was, yeah. his, that was his way of, um, yeah, setting himself up. And that was where he got his identity from. And mm. that was his, he spent all his waking hours just trying to get more possessions. A bit mm. like the, the wealthy landowner, you know, build yeah. more barns and put more stuff in. God hates that. Yeah. So it's just for ourselves. It's just hoarding. It's, totally. it's, hoarding's not good. Yeah. Oh, good for us now. Appreciate it. Yeah. The last thing I'm going to say now, I will say the last thing. <laughs> I, I, I heard an illustration when I was first converted about a slave owner. It's just a real good illustration about a slave owner who's on his deathbed and he had a godly slave and he didn't want to be lost. So he called the slave to his side and said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to die soon and I need you to help me to know what I need to do to be saved. And the, the slave says, well, you're going to have to come downstairs, just roll around in the mud with the pigs, and then get on your knees and beg all of us slaves for forgiveness mm. for the way you've treated us and what you've done to us and taking us from our lives and whatever. And the slave owner says, no way, like, you get out of here, you know. And he gets sicker. A couple of days later, he calls him back in. Same thing happens. Tells him, get out of here. I'm not going to do it. And the third day, he's on his deathbed calls a slave in and says, okay, enough of this stuff, man. Like, you got to tell me, you, you know, you have a relationship with God. I don't want to be lost. Tell me what's my solution. And, you know, the, the guy knows the Bible. The slave knows the Bible. And he could have quoted passages of scripture like, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, Acts 16. And, um, you know, he could have just quoted those, you know, verses, be born again and you'll see the kingdom of heaven. Um, and, uh, but he didn't. He said, just come downstairs, roll in the mud, beg all of us slaves for forgiveness and and you can be saved and uh so the slave master he starts to get out of bed he's gonna do it he's like okay whatever i'm dead i'm dying i'm i'm, I'm gonna do this no matter how humiliating no matter how embarrassing uh i'm gonna own it i'm just gonna own what i did and and humble myself for the sake of these people and uh anyway so then as he's getting out of the bed the slave's like okay stop uh you He's like, well, you said you have to do this. He said, no, 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 you don't have to do this. Oh, but you have to be willing. 
And so I find there to be a little connection with the rich young ruler scenario, right? Mm. It's like, we don't all have to give everything, right. but we have to kind of on a psychological, emotional level, give everything and be willing to, to acknowledge that God is the owner of everything. And uh, in him, we live and move and have our being. And we only exist because he brought us into existence. And we're only continuing to exist because he died for us, mm. even after our race chose to destroy itself by separating itself from God. And so it's like, yeah, if we're not willing to give all mm. and to sacrifice financially for the cause, uh, then are we his, you know, are we in any way emotionally committed? Anyways, guys, like, thanks for, yeah, thanks for joining me, Russell, and no, taking the time. And guys, Russell said that he, he didn't really think he's going to have much to say, but look at this, <laughs> Russell. You had lots to say. <laughs> it was a blessing. But um, thanks for joining us for all things evangelism. You know, we just like to converse and consider various aspects of evangelistic ministry. And yeah, giving financially is a part of it. It's an evangelistic act of worship to share uh, your resources with, with uh, the church and to return tithe back to God for the support of evangelistic mission. God bless you guys. Uh, you, you know that you can um, download this uh, podcast from Apple Podcasts and from Spotify. And they can actually send you send you reminders if you subscribe to the podcast. But uh, we're we're such a so blessed to have you with us. God bless you, and we will see you next week. Take care.